Formula Two took to the streets of Saudi Arabia for two races this weekend and even produced a bizarre race where there were basically no incidents. However, sadly, that is not what the weekend will be remembered for, as there was plenty of controversy and there was plenty of safety concerns after a missile strike affected the Formula One Grand Prix weekend there. Um, we're sort of kind of half diverting from our usual Formula Two uh nonsense i suppose um today as we kind of half become a formula one half um middle eastern politics and half formula two podcast um that doesn't add up i know but to just uh, discuss all of this this weekend i'm craig willard as ever um i've been virtually on the ground thankfully um virtually uh, this week and joining me is alejandro alonso lopez and bethany waring as ever to discuss all of the weekend's action and i suppose we should cover off the big topic first and that is the um scenario that happened on friday this was after the formula two free practice and during the formula one first free practice when um, a huge cloud of black smoke could be seen in the distance from um, the final corner and it, emer it later emerged that uh yemeni um, rebel group um targeted an aramco facility um, only a few miles away from the circuit, um, there was a, a missile strike there, and that fire, I believe, is still raging on um, as, we as we record on Sunday night. Um, I don't believe there were any injuries reported, but do not quote me on that one, so do check out um, re more reliable uh, news sites for, for these uh, kind of things than, than us, that's for sure. But um, that was the scenario and as a result um formula one then engaged in an array of meetings that took place all of that started um effective well essentially um as the formula two qualifying was coming to a conclusion um we'll be talking a little bit more about the, the f2 qualifying later um but after that there was a a a, a briefing essentially from formula one to the teams and drivers um and they then declared that the, the race was still going on um after that there was a, a very very lengthy uh meeting uh on friday night running through well into saturday morning um with the gpda which also then involved uh, a wide range of figures including the team principals some of which had already left the circuit and big figureheads from formula one and the fia as well it became very clear that um, not everyone was in agreement as to whether the event should proceed, but it was later determined that the event would continue. Of course, this affected Formula 2 as well, because, of course, it's part of the same event bill. And if Formula 1 decided to cancel the event, then Formula 2 would also have been affected and the other race as well, which was the Porsche Sprint Challenge Middle East. But we don't really care about that because... No one really cares about Porsches anyway. Um, so that's the, the essential lowdown of um, what went on. But I'm sort of going to share some of my views now. It's turning into a very monologue -y first part of the podcast, I know. But um, the, the others will, will certainly be able to chime their views in shortly. But I think to begin with, cancelling the event is not as straightforward as people think. Um, because if they decided there and then to cancel the event um, to sort of get the, the entire circus out of um, Jeddah as quickly as possible, um, you're then bringing forth uh, an incredible logistical challenge um, because you've got to get, you know, upwards of a thousand people out of the venue and all of the freight out of there as quickly as possible some of which will be going towards Australia, some of which will be going towards, you know, Italy and the UK. You've got to get all of that stuff in motion immediately. This stuff is normally planned weeks or months in advance, not, you know, hours. So that would have brought forth a, an impossible logistical challenge, probably, to have that take place. Of course, it, you know, there's certainly an argument to do so on, on, on safer grounds, but uh, the teams, the drivers, Formula One was, well, the FIA was assured by the, the event organizers that the, the, the event was safe, that being at the circuit was actually the safest place to be. 
um, and, and, and so forth. Um, of course, we don't have uh, too many details on the, on the I, I don't know enough about the Saudi Arabian Yemen war that as I probably should do um, from a from a personal standpoint. But my understanding was that there were not um, that there were no intentions to, to target any civilians, um, particularly ones traveling from 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 the West um, as, as Formula One does so. But as, as it transpired, I, I could understand the, the anxieties, um, certainly from, from a lot of people from, from being at the event. Um, there, were, there were some people who, who did speak up about um, not necessarily wanting to be there, but continue to be there to do their job and so forth. And huge credit for them for, for doing so. If that was me, I would probably have been in a very similar um, position, I think I would have. Um, stay there to to do the job that I I was doing, but um, I would not have felt entirely comfortable um, doing so. Um, none of the drivers uh, pulled out or anything, um, and the same applies to to the Formula Two drivers. And they and and we had a we had a, a motor racing weekend, uh, essentially at the end of the day. Now, it also brings up the, the the case of whether we should have been racing in Saudi Arabia in the first place because. When Formula One signed this deal to, to race at the circuit, they fully well they full well know that there was a war going on um, between the two countries, and holding motor racing events in a country that's um, engaged in a war, uh, given what's happened in the past month or so, um, certainly certainly not a good look, um, and really Formula One. You know, people were raising the concerns when when Formula One um, went there back in 2021, not just for those reasons, but also for Saudi Arabia's utterly atrocious human rights record um, in in recent years. Um, even in the in the run up to the event, there was um, huge concerns about human rights and so forth, and and how they treat um, minorities in particular, and ultimately, you know. It's pretty clear that the the, the the reasons why why Formula One um, took took that deal uh, to to race in Saudi Arabia, but at the end of the day, from you know from from other standpoints, it's just not not good at all. And Formula One has risked people's safety to to race in this country, and you could argue um, it's in a completely unnecessarily. Uh, unnecessary manner for for doing so but it, we we dodged this topic i think last year and perhaps we should have talked about this topic at the time um, when when saudi arabia did join the calendar um for for 2021 but we kind of want to stick more to talking about motor racing but in this situation it it just sort of feels impossible to really do so when the, the main topic of the weekend was this huge um, security concern at the end of the day. Um, perhaps people will remember the Formula One race for the battle between uh, Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc, but um, I think a, a good deal of people will remember this race for uh, the, the the situation that occurred on, on, on Friday that developed well into Saturday um, and, and went from there. But ultimately, I, I think the the only possible thing for them to do was to race. Whether they should have been there in there in the first place, however, is something that um, I, I certainly question very, very highly indeed. Um, I'm going to bring Bethany in now. Um, I finished yabbering on for a while. Um, I need a sip. I need a sip of tea. So I'm going to I'm going to let you sort of uh, basically build on. Um, what what I've said, and you know, you can you can add anything that you want to. Yeah, I'll let you get some tea. I, I we shouldn't have been racing in Saudi Arabia, really. Um, Formula One's gone to controversial places in the past. It continues to go to controversial places in terms of human rights records. Like you just think South Africa. I want to say Bahrain. There were protests at at some of the tracks. We've had 
going years now amnesty international have been saying look you can't go these places they're sports washing it's bad you think you're helping by going and saying look human rights are good but they don't care so we shouldn't have been in saudi in the first place but even putting aside that it we knew it was a dangerous place and when formula e was there though there was an, an attempted missile strike nearby and formula e carried on and i think i when they when they first said oh it's a it's actually a missile strike it wasn't an accident or anything i think i knew it was it was going to go ahead because formula e went ahead fine there was no issues there and formula one knew all along that it was going to go ahead it could despite there having been atrocities um missile strikes and such in the past in saudi it's not as if this was like unexpected like this this happens there but at the same time we know formula one does go to dangerous place not just human rights record wise but you think of brazil like when is there a year where we don't have a story about somebody getting mobbed mugged on the way out of out of the circuit in brazil so it's not out of character for formula one to do this sort of thing it's just they 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 had to expect something like this to come up i find the the comment that they're targeting infrastructure not civilians like funny in a morbid sense like i come from a city that's entire personality was built upon the fact that it was that civilians were targeted during world war ii when they were supposed to be targeting uh, infrastructure like our cathedral got bombed you know you, you we never forget that so the idea that oh they're just they're just gonna target they won't target f1 they're targeting infrastructure and stuff it's like accidents happen like even if they weren't necessarily trying to target the 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 circuit there's no way of saying that they they wouldn't something wouldn't have accidentally happened and i think we are lucky that it didn't happen but we can't really count on being lucky in the future and then on the other hand there were lots of very important people from the saudi government there and from saudi society there so in a sense being at the track was probably the safest place to be i think after the after the Paris attacks um, in Europe, we had so much added security going to events. I went to Race of Champions like a week after the Paris attacks and there was so much security and it kind of felt like this is the safest time to go to a major event now. So I guess in a way, because there was so much security surrounding Saudi's elite that were at the track, it probably was the safest place to be. I think once F1 got there, they were kind of carrying on was the best thing for them to do, just like safety wise. Um, probably not the best thing to do for like optics wise, but if F1 cared about optics, they wouldn't have gone to Saudi in the first place. It's it's appalling, but not surprising. And I think F1 has always been a sport about money. It's not something new. Um, like I, I think I, I said uh, I, I tweeted like the the 76 Japanese Grand Prix went ahead because of money like this has always been a thing at least especially since the TV rights came in came into play so it was never going to get called off I'm surprised the Australian GP got called off a couple of years ago to be honest you could say what else could they do it's like they could just carry on because that's what everyone does everyone everyone thinks it's so untouchable and I'm really glad that we got away with this and I think having gotten away with it um everyone chiefs will think oh we got away with it once we can get away with it again and we'll just carry on going like we carried on going to Bahrain and and like we carry on going to play other places where um both human rights and just like general danger in the city is is a is a thing we're constantly aware of there you go i need to get some tea now <laughs> yes um yeah uh, i i i certainly agree with, with with basically everything that you said there um it, it, i i i would hope 
I would hope that on the back of the events, particularly over the past month or so, that it is time for sport in particular to, to really start looking at where they're going, why they're going, what they hope to achieve by going. And also the whole, that there is a phrase that really, really aggravates me and it's sport and politics shouldn't mix, but that's complete nonsense because sport and politics completely mix. They've been mixing for as long as you can imagine for every single person's lifetime. They've been mixing, you know, from a, from a motorsport sense, you just have to go back to the 1930s. Who funded the Mercedes and Auto Union Grand Prix programmes? It was Germany. just want to say, it, uh, like, going back to, like, this, going back to the times of Roman stuff, sport was a political thing. So sport and politics have been forever entwined and will forever be entwined like you say it's just it's just so it's a stupid phrase yeah yeah exactly that so i i really hope that we're going to be able to you know stop using that as a get out of jail free card essentially whenever you know the, these sorts of situations are brought up because at the end of the day sport and politics do mix they've been mixed every time that you see anything that's been remotely state sponsored in any sort of capacity that's sport and politics mixing and you can't avoid that at the end of the day but yeah i i the, the it, it was something that that one of the f2 drivers brought up when it was um, mentioned in the in the press conference on saturday i think it was um uh, i think it was vips who who did say that the world is just a you know horrible place at the moment with all of these wars going on and so forth as i said I, I don't know too much about all of these wars that are going on around the world it's something that i do need to to learn more about and so forth i'm going to bring alejandro in now um to, to get your view on this uh, uh and and see if you've got anything else to to add on to onto what we we've what we've brought up yeah well i'm not sure i've got anything else to add mainly because as you already said before it's very very complicated to to get out of a country as quickly as they they wanted to do or or at least as people wanted them to do so yeah for sure from home people may just look at the drivers and you see i i read many comments on social media from people saying you are putting drivers at risk but the, the issue is not just drivers there are many more people there and you are risking all those lives in the case you are risking someone's life so the thing is you are just are you just going to to save the drivers because of course if anyone can leave very very quickly those are the, are the drivers for sure so that that's that would be at least something not very fair let's say it that way because you are allowing drivers to to escape but not the all all the workers that are that are there and who are really doing their job the best they can and they cannot do anything else at all so from that point of view it's it's very complicated and i think that there was really a, a solution at that point once you've gotten there you've got to to stay there and go through the program you had unless something massive really that really affects the the progress of the event happens but you you knew when when you went there you knew already that there was a war going on and you still you have still gone there so trying to cancel in the event doesn't make much sense from my point of view in terms of saying it's not safe i mean you knew already it wasn't safe yeah but of course it, they need to to rethink the 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 calendar and think carefully where they are going what conditions are they accepting and all that because i think that for now they've gone through all those issues, all these issues without any consequences. I mean, Formula One and the Formula One management. But um, I think that there will be a point that 
the public will not allow them to 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 keep going i mean and they they'll start turning off the tvs and that's really the point where formula one will realize that they've got a, a problem actually because if the the audience is everything for them if you don't have audience it doesn't make any sense having sponsors because you are you've got no one to, to sell the products so that's i think the the point where the people start turning off tvs uh, because they don't like where formula one goes that's going to be definitely the, the turning point in my opinion and i hope i hope that formula one can realize that that can happen and they they sort the situation out earlier yeah i i i just hope that we collectively learn from this and we learn from from things that have been going on in the world in in recent weeks and months um in particular um final few points i think really that i'm gonna say on this before we turn to you know actual formula two um as that's what we're here to, to really sort of do a quote brought up by lewis hamilton during the 2020 australian grand prix cash is king um that that is such a powerful quote that he brought up at the time and i think that that resonates um so so vividly at this time um in particular during that that weekend um i seem to recall a couple of the drivers were already on their private jets on Thursday night, right before the the Grand Prix was cancelled, not everyone within Formula One has got that luxury, um, and they absolutely would would not have that luxury um, in in that circumstance. So, and my final point is that ultimately it's down to Formula One, the FIA, and the organisers to put on a safe event for all, and that so many people would have been there and have been questioning the safety um, from a from a. I mean, like. You know, I, I go to racing events at some tracks where some of the safety standards for spectators looks a little bit sketchy, but that's perhaps on on me for you know standing at at, at those sketchy points. But that as if this is a totally different ball game. At the end of the day, a totally different ball game. It it was sort of like floated around on on on, on social media. I, I don't like asking questions based on random things from social media because social media is a terrible place. But um, there were there were a lot of people sort of asking, "Oh, why aren't the F two drivers involved in the GPDA meeting?" Well, first of all, um, they're not part of the GPDA. Uh, secondly, neither were the Porsche Sprint Challenge Middle East drivers involved in the meeting. And third of all. F2, I'm pretty sure, is still bubbled away from Formula 1. And fourth of all, the two of the Formula 2 drivers who I put that question to, whether there should be Formula 2 representation on, on the GPDA, said that it's they're not entirely sure that's a good idea. So um, that, that puts it sort of down to, to that, basically. Essentially, Formula 2 was always going to do what Formula 1 was going to do. If the Formula 2 drivers didn't want to race, a good chunk of them aren't employees of their team. So they could have just gone if they wanted to, but none of them wanted to go. They were all, they all, they were all assured that um, their safety was fine at the event, and they all raced. Well, apart from Bollock Bashi, but um, we'll, we'll get on to him very, very shortly. So, yeah, straight on to the actual Formula 2 action. About time, finally. Um, we're only, however, many minutes into, into this podcast recording, and I suppose the first major sort of action of the weekend was in free practice and that was um Jim Bollock Pashi's uh an almighty shunt um in, in qualifying and was ruled out with concussion um so that took us down to 21 drivers for the for the weekend I know it was in uh yeah it was in practice but it was a uh, not a strong session for Theo Porsche um in well it's not a strong weekend at all for Theo Porsche Porsche crashed in practice um, which was not ideal for him. Uh, ART was remarkably able to get the car fixed for qualifying, but that failed on him quite spectacularly during during that qualifying session. And yeah, it was Felipe Djokovic who put in a mighty lap to put it on pole um, in in qualifying. Uh, Richard Vashore was was um, alongside second for Trident, which is a very strong result for him. Um, and Jack Doohan was third on the road, but later disqualified for having um, too little fuel in his car. Um, that, that gave Dennis Hauger 
sprint race pole position. And that brings us on to the controversial race of the weekend, uh, which was a sprint race. So the TLDR is that Alga led away at the start. Um, JQ starting alongside had a slow start on the soft tyres. Um, and it was all going as it was until lap two, um, when a Morical deal crashed out um, quite heavily. That brought out the safety car. And then on the safety car restart, um, Jack Doon rammed into the back of Logan Sargent as the car concertinaed up onto the pit straight. But after that, and this is where things get complicated, and there's been a lot of fake news going around as to what happened. Well, the race control message was given that the pit safety car would drive through the pit lane 22 seconds later a message was put out saying that the pit lane was closed in that time prema asked race control what to do and there were well and and they claimed twice that they were told to to drive uh, through the pit lane however um the pit lane was closed when how it came around there was 61 seconds between the message of pit lane being closed and Halga driving through the pit lane there was 61 second gap between that there were red x's on the board saying pit inch well pit, pit lane closed Halga saw those he admitted to seeing those he did not question those well question the team when he saw those and drove through the pit lane anyway this obviously was a big no-no um, and as a result Halga was given a 10 second stop and go penalty um, which he served. Um, he lost out in, you know, by driving through the pit lane anyway. He came out in 12th um, after leading, um, but then obviously had the 10 second stop and go, served that and finished well down the order. Kramer then decided to appeal the outcome of the race in a similar vein to how Mercedes did during the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, where they tried to void, basically void the last lap of racing. Um, Prema tried to get the race voided to the end of lap six. Um, that protest was uh, thrown out. And there is a very good feature written by me, uh, shameless plug, on formulascout.com if you want to read exactly what happened and to get all of the, the details and the views of the drivers as well. Um, the, the top three from that race were not overly sympathetic, really saying it was a very, very harsh lesson, lesson for, for, ha for Helga um, and that, that's that situation. Ultimately, there's no right or wrong answer here as to who was necessarily right or wrong. There are a lot of differing opinions on this. Personally, I think that uh, communication from race control could and should have been better, but at the same time, Helga made a, a pretty obvious um mistake and has to take the, the blame for it and that, that's how i sort of see things um on that front so with that in mind alejandro how did you see the the situation from from your from your end it's difficult it's difficult to say i mean as you well explained um the the boards are on the right of the on the right hand of the track were very very clear you could see that definitely from i think it was perhaps callan williams some more camera yeah i think so and so we've seen in the past that drivers must follow the those signals and even if the the race director said something you know it wasn't. It isn't. It wasn't the case that he said it, and Hager was right at the pit entry, so he couldn't think about anything else. I'm not really sure he deserved a penalty for that because, well, you could you could say that the the instructions from the race director would be uh, would mitigate the the fact that he was going through the pit lane so perhaps just losing all those places would have been enough but it's definitely something they need to to look at because it seemed to me that rest rest control was giving 
contradictory orders at that at that point of the of the race, and with all the all the polemics we've had in in the past months, I don't think that F the FIA needs more controversy, <laughs> and especially with that regarding the the race director. Even if the Formula Two race director is not the same as the the Formula One race director, that that's something that needs to be pointed out. But and everything regarding race control has to be out of of controversy, in my opinion, because then you start questioning whether the rules are right or wrong, and people at home then they won't really trust what the, the stewards decide and they'll think they know more than they really they the people at home think that themselves know more that that the stewards and brings up um very very complicated situations and that's also why i'm not really in favor of drivers questioning the stewards decisions and i, I think that the fact that Hager admitted that he had seen the, the board and all that stuff, I think that that's a good a good sign that he's been honest. So, yeah, I guess they have to accept the penalty, even if you could consider the, 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 the race director instructions would perhaps have to have has been a, a mitigating thing but yeah definitely the penalty is fair at the end of the day so not much else to to add yeah yeah uh bethany what what was your take on on the situation it's highly sort of complex and uh like i say there are a lot of differing views and as to who's in the right and, and the wrong on all this I don't understand how you can have a crash that was on the pit straight, like near the pit entry. They weren't sure whether it was at the pit entry or past it. And before saying go through the pit lane, they didn't check that it was clear. I don't understand. FI the 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 document that came through said, "Oh, it was it was a developing. It wasn't developing that much to the point that they thought it was safe. And then suddenly it wasn't safe. They, they it was it wasn't checked. That to me is appalling because if that check had come later, then it the reason the pit lane was closed was for safety reasons. And then something very dangerous could have happened if you had twenty one 20 however many cars going through the pit lane there it was just ridiculous that that happened the way it did i think the on the document it said around the time of the second message to not go through the pit lane was when those when that conversation was being had with between prima and the race director you'd think like to me, if somebody messages me twice saying, are you sure this is what we're going to do? And then I changed my mind afterwards, like at that second that I've said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I at least like give them a message. It's like, no, yeah, you're right. We're, you, you were right. We shouldn't go through the pit lane. So I, I have a lot of sympathy for Prima for what, what happened. At the end of the day, you do have to follow the boards. And if it says don't go through the pit lane, you don't go through the pit lane. I think, like, in hindsight, maybe Prima should have asked again that this was what was going on. But but if you've already asked twice and they've said, yeah, we're, go we're not going through the pit lane twice, and uh, just, and they've said, yeah, we're going through the pit lane twice, then then I, I understand why they might not have asked again. But I, I feel for Hauger because... He's got to rely on his team, and this is his first year in F2. And even though he's done all this sort of thing before, really, he's got to trust his team, know what they're doing when they say, Yeah, come into the pits. So I do feel for him. I think the blame lie on lies on Prima, but then also race control, how they completely shirked the blame entirely was just appalling because they should have checked before saying come through the pit lane that that the pit lane entry was was safe because that could have been a very big disaster 
and and we've 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 already had too many disasters at this circuit so it was it was just so so stupid and i don't i understand that it's such a high pressure environment but just checking that what you're telling the drivers to do is safe before you tell them to do it just seems like common sense to me and they had a minute or so before Helga came around to check that so they could have just like looked out the window or whatever and said yep the cars are right in the pit lane entry so let's maybe not do that but but they didn't and it was just so so frustrating and I, I'm I'm frustrated for Helga. I, I I imagine he'll be able to come back from this, but it just sucks. Yeah. At the end of the day, I, I think communication was um, poor on on a lot of fronts um, in that situation, and it was um, just a, a big error of misjudgment on on Helga's part for basically doing what he was told. But at the end of the day, the thing that he was told contradict the. The thing that you're supposed to do by you know reading the the signals on on the board so um it's incredibly difficult and i think you know from a from a draconian standpoint yeah clearly Alba's fault but from a um from a standpoint of you know there's a lot going on and um lots of messages being sent and a lot of messages that should have been sent weren't being sent and extra clarification that wasn't necessarily asked for you could make a case for for anybody being you know anybody involved being at fault at the end of the day but um ultimately um communication certainly had to 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 be better and it needs to be better in the future i think the the fact that race control didn't then clarify the message directly to prema afterwards um yeah that was not great um really ultimately not great at all um but there is you know there's a, a rest of a race to sort of talk about really and um there was plenty going on really um marcus armstrong lost a good bunch of um possible points um after spinning out from fourth but um callum williams had his first go at leading a formula two race um so his his strong start to, to formula two um carried on he picked up his first points uh with fifth but the um the pace from liam lawson and and, and yuri vips in particular um was quite outstanding they were able to to beat jqs who started on the softs had a poor start and um picked up some decent pace later on the the strength of the the medium tires was well on on those two cars i think was quite apparent to see and Felipe Djokovic was not too far behind as well in fourth. But later on, Hughes was disqualified for excessive plank wear by 0.04 millimetres, costing him and Van Amis Short Racing their first podium in Formula 2. That's an incredibly harsh um, number to have exceeded plank wear by, but at the end of the day, um, rules of rules, especially on a, on a technical front. So... It's something that he and the team will learn from. Um, they, they they seem to sort of um, you know brush it off quite well, judging by their post race comments. But yeah, it certainly would have been frustrating for for Hughes. But, but Alejandro Lawson and Vips, um, Carlin and Hitech, two very strong outfits based on the sprint race performance. Um, we'll get on to uh, some feature of race woes very shortly. But um, those two looked very impressive in the in the sprint race. Yes, definitely, definitely. We had great races from well, especially after the in in the coming stages of the of the race, they both were tremendously fast. I mean, Liam was able to to pass Jake, who definitely was suffering on those soft tires, and then Yuri also came in coming through the field and. And making it to to second place, just passing Jay Hughes over the finish line, it was great to see. Uh, I would like also to point out the the performances of Felipe Drugovic and Richard Bescher during the the sprint race because they they made up several positions respect to their to their compared to their respective starting starting positions. So yeah, it was great to see them making up places and. 
pulling off some some nice overtakes. So yeah, definitely a, a, a great a great race for for them all. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and Bethany, what did you take away from from the sprint race going forwards? Uh, yeah, there was some some good drives there. I liked how the teams, uh, some of the teams, kind of used what they were kind of they were kind of expecting some some drama early on. The drivers that used the, the alternate strategies, as it were, to kind of really take advantage of the chaos before they even knew there was going to be chaos. So it was it was good. It was some good drives there. I feel I do feel feel for for Jake Hughes. It was such a such a small margin, but like you say, but when it comes to the technical side of things, um, rules are rules in that in for for that. It it just it does look for them, but um, they know that they've got the pace to do it now. So hopefully we'll see that kind of like that positive momentum go carry on going forward. Some really good driving up at the further field. Lawson did really well. And like like you say, I think for sure was another one that we can really highlight from that from that race. Mm-hmm. And Williams, I just want a uh, really surprising um position for him, but really happy that he was in that position because he had a really good race and knew what to do at the pit lane. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> There is that. Yeah, it was a very strong start to, to live in Formula 2 for, for Callum Williams after. Um, we didn't expect too much from him coming into the year, um, but we, we we didn't feel that two years at Genza was um, necessarily the most representative to, to to go off. I suppose we should move on to, to the feature race now. We were down to, to 20 cars for, for this one after Cordial's accident, so he, he didn't take the start. Um, but we sort of came into this race and expected chaos, and it was surprisingly clean. We had two yellow flags, and they were cleared away pretty quickly. They were both ART-related yellow flags. Um, the first one was for Teo Porsche suffering from gearbox problems to uh, compound his utterly miserable weekend. Um, the, the former championship leader, well, championship leader coming into this weekend, he comes away with Nilpois. Um, and Fred Vesti spun off on the last lap as well. And that, as far as, you know, drama and um, all that sort of stuff was concerned, was it. It was really sort of bizarre, um, especially as the, you know, some of the drivers were, some of the drivers seemed to take, um, you know, safety cars into consideration when it came to the strategy and so forth. But we just didn't necessarily have that, um, which was, Really strange. So out front, it basically became the uh, the Drogovic and Vashor show. Um, they were both on the on the same strategy, uh, soft onto medium. Um, looked for a while that Vashor might have been able to, to get Drogovic through the pit stop phase, but um, uh, uh, an imperfect pit stop from Trident and um, perhaps a, a less than perfect outlap from Vashor meant that Drogovic was able to, to come out in front and then. Drogovic was able to basically put down a marker every time that Vashor put in a quick lap time. Uh, Drogovic just had an answer every single time, and the the pace on the mediums from him looked pretty pretty ominous uh, going forward. So um, that was a bit of a surprise there. Um, it was a bit of drama in the pit. Oh, I, I say there was only a couple of yellow flags. It was a perma yellow um, in the pit lane um, after. Poor Liam Lawson um, had a um, loose wheel uh, during his pit stop. I have no idea what the hell was going on with Formula 2 pit stops this year, but there have been uh, quite a few that have uh, gone awry um, this season already. So uh, certainly a bit of a surprise. And Yuri Vips, luckless as ever, poor pit stop, um, lost possibly a podium um, as a result from there. Uh, that gave Jahan Daravala the chance to come through and take a podium. He um, climbed up from 14th on the grid to, to round out the podium. His pace was uh, remarkably strong in that race, um, particularly on the on the medium tyre. He had a, an issue in qualifying um, that he didn't necessarily elaborate on, but um, it was an issue nonetheless um, that hampered his one-lap speed, but his race pace was um, absolutely outstanding. He held off Jake Hughes. Um, who took fourth place, which is, uh, well, it's more points than what he would have gotten in, in, in the sprint race um, if he 
you know, finishes on the podium there. So um, third on the road and fourth uh, for Hughes, really, really strong this weekend. Uh, Marcus Armstrong took fifth. Um, good recovery after spinning off um, in the sprint race and Hauger um, was the highest place of the alternate strategy runners um, to, to take six. So his first points on the on the board at last in Formula 2 and I think a, a positive race from him there. Um, rounding up the, the top 10, uh, Ayumu Awasa and, and Roy Nassani, the, the dams pair, again, strong race pace. Jack Dewan went from the very back after... Um, being disqualified in qualifying to finish ninth and uh, Vips rounded out the top 10. Um, there were no post-race penalties either, which really sort of surprised me. I was um, anticipating a long night ahead with, with things like that, but it was nothing really sort of of note. There were a couple of fines for, um, you know, like the loose wheel on the pit stop and, and boring stuff like that. But um, otherwise, it was just pretty good racing up and down the field for hour and... Uh, Alejandro, that's a weird thing to have around Jeddah, isn't it? Yeah, actually, I was quite surprised by the, the lack of of incidents we had during the the, the race. I mean, I was it was nap time here in in Spain, and I almost could have a nap because it was all so smooth, drivers overtaking cleanly. So, I mean. To you turn on the TV for a race in Jeddah and you expect safety cars, red flags and stuff, especially after what we, we saw yesterday that it was almost full race distance behind the safety car. I mean, we had more, uh, more laps behind the safety car than racing laps, actually. So, yeah, and it, it was definitely great to see some clean racing. It's great to see that drivers can deal such difficult with such a difficult track without issues without crashing into the wall or so so that shows that they they are high quality drivers at least that's my opinion the fact that they can do the the full race distance without making that sort of mistakes is a good thing for them that's obviously what what you expect from drivers at, at that level but you know, considering what we've seen in the previous round, you never know. It's always very difficult. So, and yeah, and regarding the the performances, as you said, it was class, really class from Felipe Drugovic and Richard Bershaw, who I'd say you never expect such a top two in. In a Formula 2 race, you know, you've got, I think, up to 11 junior drivers on the grid and then top two. And I cannot remember now who's finished top three. And third has been, it was Jehan Darbala. Oh, sorry, Jehan. Forgive me for that. And it's the fact that top two is, isn't taken from, by any, any academy shows that there is still hope that talent can grow out of out of the of the academies which is in my opinion a very very good thing and also on on a bad note that we we have got also to mention is Ralph Boschen's space didn't seem to be there this weekend I mean it seemed to be quite a, a difficult a difficult weekend for them and Campos. It started really, really well in qualifying. They seemed to be fighting for pole, actually. The Ralph said that if it weren't for, for the Ralph Lux, he could have made it. But the race pace was was very, very poor from on their side. And yeah. I mean, already in the sp during the sprint race, the, there was no pace at all, and then the feature race was was dramatic. So they'll have to to look at that during the this gap we have in front of us. It's a one man gap, month gap until Imola, and there is also Barcelona testing in between. So yeah, they'll probably need to, to see what happened there. And for the rest, 
of the of the grid. It was indeed, as as you said, Craig, a very very strong race from both dance cars, which seemed to be coming alive after last year's past season. And also it was a very, very strong race from Jay Hughes, who came from ninth on, on the grid to up to fourth place. They they had a really good pace today and that's a great thing to see. It's more teams, especially different teams with um, with respect to what we are used to, you know, we are used to see at the front car the, the likes of Carling, ART and I don't know. I like the fact that we can have at the front MP, Trident, VAR. I don't know. That's that's my opinion. Yeah, that was one of my, my takeaways from Bahrain really was that all eleven teams look capable of fighting for wins and podiums this year um which is quite remarkable really um given how many really really strong outfits are in this championship um but it looks like pretty much all of them are are very very strong outfits and they've all got at least one i mean you know highly dependable driver um that you know looks like a race winner um in in the field uh be it in the sprint race or be it in the feature race um, in in you know whatever circumstance so uh yeah that's that's really really good for you know going forward for uh well i wouldn't want to bet on on, on formula two races that that's a guarantee um but it, it's just good for the championship at the end of the day but uh bethany it did seem like there was a few teams out there that had some very very strong race pace that looks somewhat ominous going forward but you know, as Alejandro said, there is testing around the corner. So, uh, you know, can we draw too many conclusions from the first couple of rounds, really? Or is it a little bit too early to say, particularly with, you know, you know, Djokovic has only got 11 point lead at the top of the standings at this point. So a lot can change in the next um, 10 rounds. Yeah, no, I think I'll be saying that until the end of the season that we can't draw too many conclusions, to be honest, because there's so there's so many different factors that even if you have a a team or a driver that looks miles ahead of the rest or two teams there there's so many there's so many teams that are close enough that they could cause problems and just get in the way of of the championship challenges that is going to be so up in the air and you see how different race pace compared to qualifying pace has been for some drivers and just how chaotic these first two rounds have been, I don't think we can read that all that much into them at all. I think it's kind of funny. Um, we've just managed to convert, I think it's Roger, into believing that Ralph Bouchon actually deserves to be on the grid and he just had the most miserable weekend. I don't know if we mentioned it during um, during your spiel about qualify, uh, qualifying, but that there was that really bizarre red flag where it wasn't for anything they they what happened was some some there was a sensor or something that went off on one of the cars and that said it stopped on track and it hadn't stopped on track but the the safe the medical car was immediately released which i don't blame considering how long it took them to get to Bassi, how long it took them to get get to the drivers in in practice they immediately sent out the medical car and there was nothing there so it was kind of like about a minute of watching the the medical car go round which was quite exciting I thought anyway but I think that I don't know if it was the bizarre red flag or one of the other red flags that kind of ruined Ralph Boschong's um qualifying but then he started over his grid position anyway, so he probably. And then his race pace was terrible, so it was really a weekend to 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 forget for that for for him. So he needs to go back to underestimating him, and he'll go back to doing well. But and that kind of weekend, I I wouldn't say it could happen to anybody, but the sort of mistakes he made and the sort of how he got caught out in qualifying and things like that, it could have happened to anybody. So I do think it's way too early to 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 say anything because 
and you, when you look at Teopold Chair, that court sort of weekend could have happened to anybody. So Formula Two, even when you think you're, you've got things under control, it will throw things at you until you're one point ahead of your title rival. So I don't think any driver is going into this kind of like mini break thinking, okay, I've got this. They're all thinking, oh dear, we've got eight more rounds. How are we going to handle this? Um, and I'm really looking forward to how they will handle it. Hopefully a little less dramatic than these past two rounds. Yeah, uh, um, just just clearing up the, um, the bizarre medical car moment um, because I, I completely forgotten about it until it was mentioned there. So much has happened this weekend. Um, yeah, it was. I think it was Vesti's GPS um, went off and said that he had a massive crash Sounds somewhere. Right, yeah. yeah, and he hadn't because he drove straight back into the pits and nothing had happened. Um, but you know, he just had the instant red flag, instant medical car deployed and go, oh boy, something bad has happened. And it then turned into like utter confusion as to we worked out what went wrong. But that was um, one of two red flags that um, really sort of hampered Boshong's um, afternoon because I think he was on course to, to take pole um, before the red flag for, I think it was Logan Sargent's crash um, in, in qualifying. He is another driver who had a, a totally miserable weekend and one to forget um, was Sergeant. Um, but yeah, that was a really sort of bizarre situation, but I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that it turned out to just be a, a really weird, quirky situation and not a, a dangerous situation um, uh, more than anything. Obviously, it was dreadful luck for, for Boshong and for, for anyone else on, on a lap at the time. I think Boshong was only a few seconds away from, from crossing the finish line as well and was well on course to take pole um and it also hampered the strategy for a, a lot of the other teams because um what that did was um several of the teams hadn't fueled for uh, to do an extra run afterwards um well at least one con considering you know an additional red flag so they were basically done for the afternoon so um there is that but that's enough qualifying talk we probably should have brought that one up earlier um but i, I guess we'd all forgotten with everything that's gone on this weekend it's just sort of blurred into one but i want to introduce a new segment i suppose uh to, to really sort of conclude and that is our driver of the weekend um i think it's going to be quite straightforward this week to to see uh who everyone's picked for for their driver of the weekend but um i suppose we could kind of cover off bahrain's driver of the weekend as well as um i tended to do it for round one but uh forgot um but yeah i suppose for for, for round one i probably would have picked uh vips as my drive driver of the weekend and for for round two i'm obviously going to go for felipe Djokovic as as my driver of the weekend just absolutely devastating all weekend i thought he was absolutely fantastic so um those are my picks uh bethany who, who who's your driver of the weekend for, for bahrain and for for jeddah um bahrain it goes uh, this sounds really bad but it goes for boshong because i think again really good out of the box um I would say Felipe Drogovic, but you've already said him and I don't want to double say him. I, I want to also add Richard Vashore into the mix because I think he had a very good weekend as a whole. Mm -hmm. And Alejandro, are you going to give us two completely different names? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for this weekend, it's definitely Felipe Drogovic, although I must admit that I've been impressed by Richard Vershore, so perhaps I can say Vershore. So I I I differentiate from 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 you both. And for Bahrain, I don't know. I've already forgotten everything. I was say, Craig, you don't tell us about this beforehand, or if you did, yeah, I don't yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I'll say it's Craig's fault the fact that I cannot pick one. But I, I, I'll say, I don't know, Yuri Bibbs had a, a, was having a very, very strong run for his, his issues in, in the pit lane. So, yeah, let's say Yuri Bibbs. Although Teoport did a fantastic feature race as well. So it's, it's really difficult to pick one out in, in, 
in, in Bahrain for me. All right, cool. We've got a we've got a nice array of names in there though. Um, I, 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 like if I was to pick a like a close second, I suppose for for this weekend, I probably would have picked JQs um, as well. He, he he certainly can't go go without a mention um, after a really really strong performance with Van Amersfoort. Um, that pretty much brings us to a clo- uh, conclusion this weekend. Um, there was plenty to talk about, that's for sure, um, on and off of the circuit. Um, but that's it. Um, next weekend, we've got GB4 underway. So that's an all new championship. And um, we should have someone on the ground there covering it in person. So that'd be nice. Um, lots of teams, new drivers and and, and so forth. And those races are being streamed on the internet um, as well. So they'll be worth watching. Um, they're taking uh, place at Snetterton. Uh, the Formula Regional Japanese Championship as well um, is also in action at Fuji. But um, yeah, no one really cares about that too much. Um, but <laughs> we, we, we've got plenty of other news and, and, and action around the, the website as well. I'm going to have a feature um coming out well hopefully tied in with this podcast about um everything that uh, has gone on this week and and my views on on all of these sort of situations we should have a feature on jack aitken coming out we should have a, a preview for gb4 um and we should have a, a an analysis as well from the first two rounds of formula two and FIA Formula, well, the first round of FIA Formula 3, of course, but um, the first two rounds of, of Formula 2. So uh, this has been a very, very long podcast. I've got a very long night ahead of me of editing and news writing and feature writing and so forth. Um, but that is that. And I suppose that brings us to a conclusion for this week. And we have to be back next week with another Formula Scout podcast.